0: This is a conversation with Lynn Summerstein hi Lynn hi so Lynn you're a psychoanalyst a yoga teacher somebody who's very interested in breathing
1: yes I love all of those three things I thought when I thought about this interview first I was a little scared and intimidated and then I thought you know I'm here to talk about the stuff that I really love and I really love yoga and I really love psychoanalysis and breathing too they go together
0: They go together, so it's not necessarily something that everybody would uh, necessarily associate. So in what way do they go together?
1: For me, they go together as different ways for a person to get to know yourself and to develop yourself and just become more of who you are and what you're capable of being, to know what your capabilities are. Hmm. So when I was 16 in high school, I started studying yoga by myself. Uh, And I just loved it. But there were no yoga schools, and there were no yoga mats, and there was no yoga industry. But then after a while, um, Swami Sajidananda came to town and he had very cheap yoga lessons, which I could afford because I had no money. And I went to yoga and uh, learned more about what it was about. So that's been a theme in my life um, for many, many years. My grandma had been doing yoga for about 50 years, which is unusual. At the same time, I was very interested in what makes people who they are. What are they like? So when I was in high school, I was reading Freud and trying to figure out my own dreams and figure out other people. And these were two abiding interests in my life for a very long time, and they seemed opposites.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... uh, uh figuring out who you are, figuring out who people are, um, and um, um, so that's that pursuit that feels a little opposite from the yoga.
1: It does at first glance. I think many psychoanalysts, well, I shouldn't say this anymore, it's not true, but perhaps at that time many psychoanalysts thought that yoga was kind of ditzy and I think a lot of yogis uh, who were very resentful of Western psychologists, because in fact, Western psychology had dismissed the wisdom of yoga.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
1: were for a long time in two different camps. Um, but I was in both of their camps, um, always. And so more and more it became important to me to put these two parts of my life together.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um... So, um at the time, a sense that for a psychoanalyst, yoga was kind of this weird, ditzy, uh, eastern stuff. Mystical, yeah. nutty, right. And um, and that for yogis, uh, a psychoanalysis might be too heady. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so
1: I was kind of caught uh, with my, with, I guess, one foot in each camp. And, um, and that was okay for a long time. And I kind of segmented myself. When I was in yoga class, I was one way. And when I was an analyst, I was another way. Um, but meanwhile, all this time I was an analyst and I was also a yoga teacher. And so sometimes I would be teaching yoga and I would see somebody and I would think, if they were in my therapy office, I know what I would help them with. Um, and if somebody was in my therapy office, I'd look at them and I'd think, I wish they were in my yoga class. <laughs> But they're two different things, and it is good to have have divisions between bodies of knowledge. And also I was scared to put them together. I thought, my God, my analytic buddies are going to think I'm nuts and my yogi buddies are going to think, you know, I just lost the cause or whatever. So I was scared for a long time to put the two of them together. And then I had a really great opportunity. Um, I got very brave, and I wrote something about my own own psychological experiences doing yoga, just from a personal point of view. And um, um, that writing was accepted in a big conference in India, and I was really excited to go. I'm a little scared that, you know, I'm going to talk about yoga in India. You know, Mm that's pretty uh, nerdy on my part. But I did, and people liked what I had to say, and that just made me feel more brave, I guess. I was emboldened by my experience. So then I came back home, and I continued working with people. And So there was one woman in my yoga class whose lack of confidence was written all over her body. And her, her discomfort with her body was painful to me. to see, I liked her, and I thought, she really hates herself, and I felt very badly. So, I don't know, probably you know, in yoga, you start out the class usually sitting in a cross legged position, which is infinitely painful for most Westerners. Mm -hmm. Sitting on the floor cross legged, you should yourself. But she was trying, and she was really in a lot of pain, and I wanted to help her. So, I found ways to make her comfortable. And then I just did that every time she was in the class. And eventually, she learned how to make herself comfortable. And that had a big effect on her. Feelings about herself, but she learned that she could feel comfortable, that there were things she could do. And it made me very happy to see the effect. And in fact, she became a yoga teacher, which is uh, (laughs) really wonderful. So experiences like that were very positive.
0: So that that was a part of seeing that uh, psychotherapy was not the only way. Um, that people would gain confidence and there was uh, this psychological transformation that you were witnessing uh, from somebody that you were helping only through yoga.
1: That's right. I'm glad that you that you mentioned it in that way because the truth is it's a big world. There's a lot of ways that people can find to help themselves or that you can find to help somebody else and they're all valid um, through the body, through the mind, Spiritually, all of these words, all these words mean that um, there are different aspects of human beings. We're so vast. Why would you prefer one one entryway to another when any of them any of them can work? Mm-hmm. So then we get back to myself in, in the office. So there I am watching somebody sitting slumped over, um, depressed, no self confidence, listening um, listening to. Uh, very sad story. Um, watching the person, the person's breathing becomes less and less. And as the breathing of the person becomes less and less, she, she droops more and more. And as she droops more and more, she compresses her lungs so she can't breathe. And her energy level just sinks. And, of course, that makes her more depressed. So I'm watching this process and um, at the book. Well, she was in my yoga class, I would say. Sit up straight. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's do some deep breathing. And that's what I did. So that was a little scared to do that, because you're not supposed to do that if you're an analyst, usually. But then I thought, you know what? This is going to really help her. So I said, how about we try, see if you like it, um, why don't you try sitting up a little straighter? And let's take some deep breaths, because that could make you feel better. Let's try it. And, um, and we did. We did... Uh, Three-part breath in yoga is deep breathing.
0: It has a wonderful
1: effect if you're depressed and also if you're anxious, because if you follow your breath and take good, deep breaths, you're just going to feel better. Um, It's a physiological approach that eventually has a psychological result. It's like a circle, and where you come in on that circle,
0: it all counts. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, interesting with that experience, uh, that client in your office, um, you're noticing her posture and, and that cycle of the posture. And it's not necessarily the case that every psychoanalyst in the world might have made the connection as strongly as you did. And then maybe in a way your experience as a yoga practitioner and a yoga teacher uh, maybe allowed you to be more sensitive to that connection, even th- before trying to to change it.
1: I think that's true, but to be accurate, we have to say that Freud said the body comes first. The mm-hmm. body never lies, so he was, in his way, certainly very um, attuned to the reactions of the body. The particular uh, brand of psychoanalysis that interests me is called object relations theory, mm-hmm. and object relations theory is. Really about the interaction between two people, and my mentor in object relations theory is Art Robbins, who is um, a psychoanalyst and uh, the founder of the Institute uh, for Expressive Analysis, where I'm now the director. And he has always been vitally interested in body posture. And one of the um, one of the exercises that we sometimes did when we were trying to understand a person in our care, was to inhabit the body of that other person. Mm -hmm. And that really shows you who a person is. It's it's really remarkable. So all of our experiences and our memories and our feelings, they're all inscribed in the body. I don't see that there's a separation between mind and body. You see, they work together. Um, And that togetherness is what really... Counts and now, uh, latest neuropsychoanalytic research shows, in fact, that's right, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So, I feel wonderful about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so that sounds for you actually that uh, what you're saying is that it's not just in a way your yoga experience that brought in, but your whole training, um, in. Uh, objects relation psychoanalysis is about that sense that in order to, you know, understand a person, you have to walk in their shoes and to be in that embodied way is a good way to actually have more of a sense of what happens inside.
1: That's literally true. There's a Native American uh, saying, and if you want to know someone, you should walk a hundred miles on your moccasins. Yes. And I guess that's what's really behind it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so really of um uh you know so so in that sense in that you know com- we were talking earlier at you at 16 uh, reading freud mm-hmm. uh and that's um you know in a way the but your own training went to a place where um the the self the psychology psychology was not separate
1: that's correct
0: from the body but yet Um, It was a leap of faith, and it was a transgression in some way.
1: It was definitely a transgression.
0: to, um, To have an intervention at the level of the body, as opposed to simply being aware of it, but not connecting to the person at the level of the body.
1: That's exactly right. Even though we're connecting at the body level all the time, our communication is very much a body communication, not just a verbal communication. It's the things and the rhythms that go back and forth between the people that are speaking. Yeah. Like you and I, I see yes. you're sitting in exactly the same way. Yes. Our hands are the same, our <laughs> feet are the same.
0: <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's, I guess, that's as I see, it. that's the, uh, the
0: most important thing. But so that experience, at that moment, you decided with that client to say, I'm going to use that breathing. Right. Okay? So what did it feel like for you to do that?
1: Well, first I thought, boy, I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to try it anyway, because I like to try stuff. And I knew the patient really, really well. That client had been working with me for long enough that I knew that she didn't like it. She would tell me, and we wouldn't do it. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have any deleterious effect, except she might not like it. But... Um, it felt good to start it, and then I kind of wasn't sure what should I do, and I thought I'm just going to breathe too, but I'll kind of keep my eye on her and see how it feels to her. Because I was teaching her, and part of teaching is demonstrating, and and she, her face became, the color in her face rose, and she kind of woke up, I guess is a good way to say it, mm-hmm. because now she had enough oxygen, really. It's, it's such a silly thing. Um, it seems silly. Um, it seems silly because it's simple, and a lot of times people say something is so easy, they don't give it credit for what it's worth. Yes, it's very easy. Breathing is really, really easy, but um, you better do it.
0: hmm hmm So I am curious about um, what doing this, uh, you know, that first step and other steps you may have taken afterwards, mm-hmm. Um, how it changed your perception of yourself in the therapy room?
1: That's a really nice question. I think it's expanding my sense of self. And I think it's made me more able to be spontaneous in the therapy room because I'm less indebted to a bunch of rules that I may not agree with. Hmm. So I have a different... just a different, fuller way of being, which I think makes me a better therapist.
0: So so it was really a sense of crossing the Rubicon, just, uh, you know, th- that literally Trans- a transgression, right. and then you entered new territory and then became freer.
1: So maybe I should say that transgression. My father was a policeman, and transgressing in my house was a serious business. You can do it and get away with it. <laughs> Uh, But at the same time, I was always transgressive because um, I like to do things my own way. So I'm sure that that was a big part of my emotional experience when I said, why don't you sit up straight let's try and
0: breathe and see what Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, in a way, at that moment, um, the authority you had as a healer didn't come just from one tradition but it was from the total sum of your experience and about all of you as a person.
1: It's exactly right. It felt wonderful. As anything feels when you're totally engaged with something. It's a beautiful feeling, and it's a beautiful to see someone have a better life, have
0: the life that they want and deserve to have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So afterwards, um, you know, what's been happening in terms of seeing... Um, you know, the relative influence of yoga on psychotherapy or psychotherapy on yoga?
1: You know, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of growing field. There's something called the International um, Therapy Association or Yoga Therapy, International Association of Yoga Therapists, which I belong to. And they're defining themselves like, what is a yoga therapist? Is it a physical therapist? Is it a psychological therapist? Is it somewhere in between? And right now, they're kind of expecting their members to have certification in whatever modalities that they're they're using. And so I do. Um, I think that it's a field that will increase as we become more uh, happy with that our bodies. uh, Carry who we are. It's not so mystical that contemporary research shows, for example... uh, is this thing that I really love called mirror neurons, which had been studied a lot by a man named, I think, Ramanadana? No, Ramanadana? I'm not sure. He's in California. Um, and he has shown the effect that mirror neurons have. Um, in a simple way, if you see somebody fall, you move with their movement, with their sudden movement. Or if somebody drops something, you kind of move to catch it. So that's a simple example of a mirror neurons. But it's being shown now that those mirror neurons may be the basis of empathic, relation, uh, empathic uh, relationships and empathic responses that people have, because your body is experiencing somebody else's
0: mm-hmm.
1: on mm-hmm. a very visceral level.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that sense of uh, it's our ability. You know what you were doing um, by. Going into somebody else's posture in a in a conscious way is actually something that we do automatically, and that's the basis of our experience of empathy. That's yes, exactly right. Yeah. So how does this change how what you do in the therapy room? Or so, does it? Is it just a theory that simply Explains it, but doesn't really change the practice of it, or has it influenced your practice? You know,
1: I don't like to only be theoretical. I'm a very practical person. I like to see things work. It makes me happy. Not everybody is able or interested in breathing or meditation or yoga. So people who are not interested will come to my office. Then we don't work that way. It's not accessible to them. That's okay. It's like if you're a yoga teacher and... Some people can touch the floor with their palms, and some people can bend over and touch their knees, and they're lucky they get that part. It depends what you're accessible, what's accessible to you, what your abilities are. So, for those people who are not able to work in that way, then you work in other ways.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But
1: this gives me another, another modality to reach people. And, the, and even if you help people, um, for example, uh, people can be so speedy their energies are unbounded. And, and their energy runs away with them. And they can't, they're, they're kind of, the tail is wagging the job, but they're not in control. But still, they're blessed with tremendous energy. So to help them learn how to use that energy, that's tremendous, it's a blessing when you're able to do that. And one way for people to begin to do, to know what their energy is, is to breathe and be conscious conscious breathing, and to um, meditate. Mm-hmm. And even if people meditate for a very short time, five minutes, if it's done in a consistent way, in a regular way, over time it really has an effect on self-knowledge, and on the ability to be more in control of your flow.
0: Yeah. So, um, as I hear you talk... Uh, what I'm hearing is a sense of um, the notion of practice, you know, education development through practice and so um, that is something in a way that you bring also to the therapy room is that orientation of building a skill uh, that helps you, um, that helps people, um, you know, develop their ability I to... Yeah.
1: yeah, like a lot of analysts... Um I guess I shouldn't say that. For myself, I know that helping people build the skills, build on the skills they have, or find new ones, is very
0: rewarding. Yeah.
1: Like for a very long time, a long, long time ago, when my first job was just to work as a, as a social worker for the welfare system, and I went to different people's homes, which I found hard. I felt very interested. And I thought, what can I do? What is What can I do to help them? I don't just want to be an agent of the government. Um, and I thought I could help people learn how to spend their dollars and get good nutrition. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal, was to help people learn how to get nutri- good nutrition for themselves in their family and not waste money on Coca-Cola and the Tantra. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that building. that. Uh... Building.
1: Teaching, teaching and building, I guess yeah. is important.
0: Yeah. so as we've talked about these things um, does it feel like a good place to end or is there something that uh, you might want to add
1: I think I would like to add one thing which is um, gratitude towards my own analyst whom I started seeing when I was I guess I began analysis when I was 30 years old at a very low point in my life and she really had the faith that um, more than I had that I'd be able to put together a good life. She is a pretty... Um, she would not use yoga in her consulting room. But she was certainly very free about uh, enabling me to do what I felt was internally the best thing that I could do for myself. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank her in a different members.
0: So as I'm hearing you say that, there's something that feels moving about coming back and thinking of what you were seeing at the beginning and the, the commonality between both and uh you use the word freeing and i think of say the eastern notion of liberation yes and exactly. and i'm and i'm seeing in the tribute you give to your analyst that sense of your gratitude to the people who have found ways of liberation
1: you know i think the ability to experience gratitude is probably the strongest ability a person can have
0: yeah yeah, it feels moving right now. As we're talking about it, I'm feeling that sense of shared emotion. It feels very, very nice. Yes, me too. This recording is part of the podcast at relationalimplicit.com. Did you to do what I felt was internally
1: the best thing that I could do for myself. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank her and different way.
0: So, as I'm hearing you say that, there's something that feels moving about coming back and thinking of what you were seeing at the beginning and the the commonality between both and uh you use the word freeing and I think of say the Eastern notion of liberation yes and exactly. and i'm and I'm seeing in the tribute you give to your analyst that sense of your gratitude to the people who have found ways of liberation
1: you know I think the Ability to experience gratitude is probably the strongest
0: ability a person can have. Yeah. Yeah, it feels moving right now. As we're talking about it, I'm feeling that sense of shared emotion. It feels very, very nice. Yes, me too. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.